good to be back with you once again this morning after a couple of extra days off. My wife and I, along with uh, some friends of ours, uh, spent a, a few days at Mackinac Island. It's first time that uh, we had been to the island. Let me tell you, it's a, a wonderful vacation, just a beautiful, gorgeous uh, place. But I was really, really happy to get back in my car afterwards. <laughs> this is not a vacation that you take on a whim. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Mackinac. I, I know it's a very popular uh, spot. A lot of folks have uh, been to Mackinac. Uh, if you have never been, this is not a place that you go uh, on a whim. You have to do some serious planning because no cars on the island. So you get around by foot or uh, by horse-drawn carriage, and they're not fast, by the way. Uh, they take their own sweet time in getting where they're going, uh, or by bicycle. And uh, so everything, you, you have to really plan this out. And I, I, it, it just blew my mind. Uh, it was much more uh, involved, uh, everything from getting your luggage to and from the place where you're staying... <laughs> Uh, to just running into uh, running into town and, and picking up a few things, you know, snacks or, or whatever. Everything becomes much more much more complicated. You you get a a true sense for how easy we have it uh, by just jumping in our cars and driving to the uh, convenience store. And that was one thing. There's no convenience stores. I mean, everything that you would normally go to a gas station and grab. <laughs> a gas station convenience store. They don't have any gas stations on the island. So where do you go to get this, that, or the other thing? So uh, anyway, it was a, a lovely vacation, but it, it really gives you a new appreciation for many of our modern conveniences. Uh, spending a few days on Mackinac Island. But anyway, good to be back um, on, the, uh, on the air after a few days away. Did you miss me? Yeah, I Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the new chairman of the Ohio GOP, Robert Paduchik, discusses his priorities and strategies for the Republican Party in the state. Also this morning in our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, Why Wait? There's no time like the present to live out God's purpose in our lives because your time is now. We get an update on the latest activities from the Hancock County OSU Extension and 4-H program and the inside secrets of Sesame Street. Over the past half century, it has come to represent the gold standard for children's television, but that hasn't always been an easy road. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. Today is Fresh Veggies Day. So, now there's a reason to celebrate. And I know I can see kids everywhere rolling their eyes. Fresh Veggies Day. <laughs> National Fudge Day. There's a lot of that. Mackinac Island, of course, too. Big. Uh, if you are a sweet tooth, this is the place where you want to, want to go and spend a few days. National Fudge Day. No orange clothes day today. I had to stop and think about that. I don't believe that I own anything orange. I don't. I don't own anything orange. 
uh, World Sea Turtle Day, and Wish Fulfillment Day today. Wish Fulfillment Day. Well, you got your wish because I'm back. Maybe not. Um, so we may soon be getting another federal holiday. The uh, Senate yesterday passed legislation that would make Juneteenth the 12th national holiday on the calendar. Juneteenth, of course, marks the occasion when the last slaves in America learned that they were free. June 19th, 1865, two months after the surrender of uh, Confederate forces and uh, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Finally, all of these slaves were freed. Uh, the uh, bill marking June turn, uh, Juneteenth as a uh, declaring Juneteenth as a uh, federal holiday passed the Senate under a unanimous consent agreement. It is expected to easily pass the House, and that would send it on to President Biden to sign. Uh, most states already recognize, in some way, shape, or form, Juneteenth uh, as, if not a state holiday, an official observance. Excuse me, it is, uh, it is already a paid holiday for state employees in New York, Virginia, Washington, and Texas. So, kind of interesting, but uh, it would be the 12th federal holiday if passed and would take effect. I'm not sure when it would take effect. Uh, immediately, or would it uh, be a phased-in process or something? Would it be a couple of years down the road? I don't know. But anyway, looks like we may likely get another federal holiday on the uh, on the calendar. Of course, opponents say that they are not necessarily opposed to the idea of recognizing the official end of slavery, uh, but they are concerned over yet another paid day off. And whether, excuse me, and whether uh, uh, that's something that we uh, can afford, businesses can afford, and all of that. Uh, I would imagine a lot of uh, private businesses will treat it like uh, Columbus Day or uh, you know something like that, where it's kind of a quasi holiday. Uh, not everybody gets it off. Federal employees do, state employees do, but many private businesses are still open and, and so on. This would be another one like that. Columbus Day, or King Day uh, is the same way, and uh, Juneteenth will probably be the same as that. And even if uh, employers were to give that extra day off, one of the things that we learned during the pandemic was that uh, a few extra days off here and there doesn't necessarily impact productivity the way we thought uh, it might. So, there is that. But anyway, uh, that, was, uh, that was big news. Speaking of the uh, pandemic, I, uh, I saw, where was this? Oh, the Girl Scouts are, are dealing with a massive surplus of cookies because of the pandemic. This is, the, uh, this is today's uh, pandemic story. The Girl Scouts announced it has 15 million unsold boxes of cookies this year still stacked up in warehouses around the country. Spokeswoman said a decrease um, in sales was expected because the majority of cookies are sold in person, door-to-door, and uh, 
They couldn't do that because of the pandemic. Girl Scouts normally sell about 200 million boxes of cookies per year. And they've got uh, a huge surplus left over. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I am just my... Uh, <coughs> suddenly, I have uh, of a frog in my throat here. It's because I'm not used to talking so much. Uh, I haven't done this for a few for a few days. And so I'm not used to talking so much early in the morning. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so anyway, 15 million unsold boxes of uh, Girl Scout cookies. Okay, I'll take them. All right, send them my way. We'll get rid of them. <laughs> if you don't have anything else to do, I guess I'll take them. Uh, but that's, that represents a, a lot of uh, potential revenue for the Girl Scouts that they won't be getting in all seriousness, and uh, not only that, uh, the expense of the of uh, unsold cookies has got to be pretty significant for the Girl Scouts. So uh, that could be, be a big problem. Uh, let's see what else is uh, is going on here among the uh, first things you need to know this morning. Um, oh, this I I saw it was kind of uh, kind of interesting. It says if you have speaking of the pandemic. If you have had a lot of colds over the course of your lifetime, if you're one of those people that uh, quite frequently battles the common cold during the uh, uh, cold and flu season, if you have had, <coughs> excuse me, it says, I, seriously, <coughs> seriously, I've got this uh, uh, frog in my throat this morning, and it's it's got to be because I'm not used to talking so much. <laughs> hey, the past couple of days, I wouldn't even awake yet. Uh, this ridiculous hour of the morning. So, forgive me as I get back into the swing of things. Uh, University researchers uh, at Yale University uh, have found that virus, that the uh, virus that frequently causes the common cold triggers an immune response that may prevent uh, other coronaviruses from spreading in that same patient. In other words... If you have had a lot of colds in your life, you might be better protected from COVID-19. Specifically, they say the immune response to rhinoviruses, which most frequently cause the common cold, involves certain genes that get involved in the immune response early to prevent a virus from replicating. Dr. Ellen Foxman is the uh, author of the study. Yale University says there appears to be a viral sweet spot at the beginning of COVID-19 during which the virus replicates exponentially before it triggers a strong defense response. And that when and that is when the cold virus immune response is the most effective. She says, even if this information is not used to develop COVID-19 treatments, the study offers insight into the complex ways the viruses interact with each other. And that is an important area of study for future disease outbreaks. For me, when I saw that, the first thing that came to my mind is that adds credence to the argument um, that natural immunity and exposing oneself to viruses in the world around us uh, will uh, provide natural immunity from uh, different viruses that may come, a- come about. That the more we try to protect ourselves... Uh, from all of these viruses, are we doing uh, ourselves greater harm in the long run by being over-sanitized 
You know what I mean? It's, it's a frequent argument of anti-vaxxers, and I'm thinking this is going to add some fuel to that fire. I mean, rightly or wrongly, I just uh, see this will be one of those arguments that we will hear more of uh, because of this uh, study. I just thought that was uh, rather interesting. Um, and what else is uh, going Oh, here is the uh, other thing that we uh, have to worry about now. This is the other... We always have to be... We always have to have something to fear, something to be worried about. And here is today's item. Scientists say it is time to clean out your makeup collection. They tested 231 cosmetic products from stores and brands across the U.S. and Canada and found potentially toxic chemicals called PFAS. P-F-A-S. These are chemicals that break down slowly and therefore can build up in water and food, stay in our bodies, and cause health issues. Potentially toxic chemicals in our makeup. Exposure to the two most well-studied PFAS has been linked to increased risk of some cancers, low birth weight, and problems with the thyroid and immune system. Study found that more than three-quarters of waterproof mascaras, nearly two-thirds of foundations, and liquid lipsticks, and more than half of eye and lip products had high fluorine levels, suggesting the presence of PFAS. The team found nearly 90% of the products with high fluorine levels, including 29 confirmed to contain PFAS, did not list that on the ingredients label. Since there's not much people can do to avoid unlabeled PFAS, the study authors are calling on the government to ban PFAS in makeup and other personal care products. Now, it should be noted that this is uh, science from the Green Science Policy Institute. So that may uh, have tainted the results where they perhaps it's worth uh, pointing out at, at a minimum that there may be an agenda here, but... From the Green Science Policy Institute, they say your makeup collection may be toxic. So that is the... We always have to have something to be concerned about. Some new fear, some new scare. And that is the one you have for today. So I've done my duty there. You know, some of your uh, the first things you need to know to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Mostly sunny today with a high of 76, mostly clear tonight, a low of 55. The Finley Fire Department had the memorial for fallen firefighters Roland Smith and William Van Atta moved from the south side of the river to the north side at Riverside Park. Chief Josh Eberly says the memorial was easy to miss when it was on the south side. So we always felt that a more appropriate location would be on the north bank of the river within Riverside Park just because there's so much more foot traffic and a lot more people that are um, on that side of the river in the park. And he says an additional plaque will also be installed that explains the events surrounding their deaths on April 22, 1978, when they tried to rescue some kids from the swollen Blanchard River. Get more on our website. Ohioans receiving food stamps would have to undergo a new asset test that measures total worth under a provision in the Senate's version of the upcoming two-year budget. Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman says the goal of the test is to be sure needy recipients of food stamps, or SNAP benefits as they're now known, get what they deserve. 
The Lima Republican says there are a lot of folks who can afford to pay for a variety of things who are still receiving benefits. Dozens of people representing food banks, legal aid groups, and health care advocacy groups have testified against the legislation that's pending in the Senate Government Oversight and Reform Committee. Dave James, in News. The Finley Rotary Club has presented its 2021 Service Above Self Award to Dr. William Coase, Vice President of Special Projects at Blanchard Valley Health System. The Service Above Self Award is presented annually to a non-Rotarian in the community who exemplifies the Rotary ideals of professional leadership and service. Get more on the award on our website. Ohio Edison is working with communities along Lake Erie to help them avoid a swarm of mayflies. Ohio Edison says it'll be suspending streetlight service on several roads in Port Clinton in an effort to deter the bugs. Other communities will also have some lights turned off until the end of hatching season. Mayflies typically show up in June and leave in September. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, back in late February, state Republicans welcomed a new chairman of the Ohio GOP. Robert Paduchik is his name, and he joins us this morning. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much for taking some time to talk a little politics with us today. We appreciate it. Absolutely, Chris. I'm up here in northwest Ohio, uh, part of uh, an event to uh, uh, kick off uh, uh, Treasurer Robert Sprague's uh, re-election campaign, and uh, I've got a couple other meetings up here, so... I'm excited to be back into uh, what I consider God's country. So share a little bit uh, about your background and, and what you bring to the table in this role as state party chair. So I, I've, I'm a, a political operative. Uh, I've managed and worked on campaigns for 35 years, uh, most recently uh, President Trump's reelection. And what makes me, I think, unique is the fact that I, I've worked for so many candidates in Ohio uh, and also um, uh, President uh, Trump's campaign that um, I, I think I'm the right person with the skill set and the relationships to bring the, to bring together all people with inside the Republican Party. Yeah, the important thing for Republicans is to win elections. And I've always been on that uh, end of the business where it's helping this candidate, whether that candidate is uh, uh, Rob Portman or Donald Trump or George W. Bush or Mike DeWine helping those candidates get elected to office. And uh, I've got a pretty good track record. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's the single purpose of the job. You mentioned the uh, Trump re-election campaign, 2020, obviously one of the most unique presidential campaigns in American history, not just the uniqueness of the candidate, but everything surrounding the 2020 election from the postponement of Ohio's primary back in March to what happened in the aftermath of the election on January 6th. What reflections do you take away from the experience of being a part of all of that? Well, what we saw was in a lot, a number of states, the Democrats changed the rules in the election. Uh, and they used the pandemic as an excuse to do that. As you know, we could go down that rabbit hole for hours. But, but honestly, it, it, it's really something when a state changes the rules just a few months before the election. So there were a lot of things that happened in the election cycle that that Democrats uh, tried very hard to take advantage of, and they're trying to do it now 
uh, with legislation in both the U.S. House and U.S. Senate. Well, that's what I was going to bring up. One of the outcomes of the 2020 election is that a number of states, Ohio included, have passed or are considering changes to voting laws at the state level. Ironically, in Ohio, that would include scrapping or significantly modifying some of the rules that Republicans once advocated. In response to some of the more controversial reforms, Congress, as you mentioned, working on legislation that would limit some of those changes. Is this a solution in search of a problem, though, given the fact that there is absolutely no hard evidence of widespread voter fraud in this or any other election? Well, again, there, there are what you see is the dynamics of these elections change when the Democrats try to bring in new rules or do new rules. What they're doing at the federal level is an attempt to federalize U.S. elections. In other words, the Constitution clearly states that elections should be run by the state in the way that the states see fit. And to me, that type of federalism is very, very important. Uh, because it's part of the Constitution, it's what the Founding Fathers uh, uh, set out for us and our governance. It gives us more self-governance. But what the Democrats are trying to do is take away Ohio's ability to run elections the way we see fit, and the same for all 49 other states. In, in doing that, they're doing it with rules that are going to benefit Democrats. If they're successful, you will never see another Republican president again you will see Democrat majorities in, in, in Congress because they're going to change the rules in a way that benefit them. Of course, Donald Trump uh, did uh, carry Ohio comfortably. You come into this job with Republicans uh, holding the governorship, legislative majority, nearly every statewide elected office. So the party is in really good position at the state level and nationally. Ohio has been trending from purple state to reliably red state over the past several election cycles. All of that being said, a lot of politicos will say that once you get there, it can be even harder to stay there. So what is your strategy to make sure that you stay there? What is the game plan as you see it? Well, Chris, you're 100% correct. Sometimes it's hard to keep the the successes that, that have been provided by my predecessor and, and the good Republican candidates that we have. The, you know, the challenge that we're doing with that is, is, is as multifaceted. One end of it is making sure that we maintain the enthusiasm that we have in rural parts of the state, especially what I consider the I-75 corridor here in northwestern Ohio and other places that had just massive support for Republican candidates exceptional turnout, turnout in the 80%, uh, turnout for Republicans, votes for Republicans that were 80 and above. All of that's good things that we got to make sure that we continue to do. But in addition to that, we also need to do better in the urban counties, places like Columbus and Cleveland. We need to tighten those margins. We may not be able to win those counties with Republican candidates statewide, but if we can tighten those margins and take some of the pressure off of the rural areas to put up the big numbers. And so those are the, that's the two things that we're focused on as we go forward. And then, and, and then the third thing is um, we want to make sure we provide that the state party is a service organization for Republican candidates. One of the things we're doing is every Republican, whether they're running for township trustee or they're running for governor of the state of Ohio, can use the Republican. Uh, the, the RNC data and can use an application at no charge to go door knocking and to tap into that data and to identify voters, to be able to reach out to them 
and um, uh, solicit their support. That type of grassroots support uh, is important for a state party to provide, and we're providing it in all our counties to all our candidates. You mentioned that you're uh, already out there uh, stumping for uh, Robert Sprague's re-election uh, effort. The uh, campaign, the election cycle never really ends from one right into the next. With respect to that, how critical is it to hold on to Rob Portman's Senate seat? Is that kind of job one? Yeah, we have we have uh, uh, we have several priorities. Uh, I, I would say that that keeping the Portman Senate seat Republican is critical to the challenges we face at the federal level because uh, the only way we're going to stop the Democrats is to take back the House and to take back the Senate and eventually four years from now or three years from now win back the White House. But it's also important for us is the uh, state Supreme Court because next year uh, three Republican seats are going to be on the ballot, okay? And the margin right now on the court is four to three. So for us, if we lose any one of those three seats, we potentially lose the court. And, and if Democrats take over the Supreme Court, like what we've seen in Pennsylvania, they'll legislate from the bench. They'll, they'll, they'll allow laws to be changed. Uh, they will uh, push a very left-wing uh, agenda in this state. And so I, I see both as really critical, that, that Senate race and Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, are our top priorities for the state party. I will uh, point out that in the state of Ohio, uh, Supreme Court judges technically uh, run without party designation, but as we all know, uh, certain uh, candidates are aligned with certain parties. So, again, uh, the new chairman of the Ohio Republican Party, Robert Paducic, with us uh, this morning, kind of laying out the priorities moving forward for the uh, party at the state level. Mr. Paducic, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you, and uh, take care. I know I'm a bit uh, late in jumping on the bandwagon on this because people have been buzzing about it for about a week now. But have you heard the latest viral sensation from America's Got Talent? Uh, Jane Marchewski, I think is how you pronounce her name. She goes by the stage name Nightbird. She's a 30-year-old singer from Zanesville who is uh, battling cancer with such determination and optimism that she has really captivated the world. Her performance of the original song, It's Okay, uh, on America's Got Talent, uh, was it just went viral immediately, uh, overnight, and the recording of the tune shot to number one on iTunes. Immediately. The uh, Billboard Hot 100 and everything, and she brought everyone to tears when she said at the end of her audition that you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. And that philosophy, that is the the same spirit uh, that is shared in today's Keeping the Faith segment. This morning featuring a new book by a former NFL player, Jonathan Evans. It is called Your Time Is Now in which he encourages us as Christians to live out God's purpose for our lives right now, today, and not wait until you feel like the time is somehow right. And again, it kind of goes back to that same philosophy. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Uh, Don't wait and just do it now. Here is correspondent John Clemens this morning, Keeping the Faith. 
former NFL player Jonathan Evans, now a chaplain with the Dallas Cowboys and the son of evangelist Dr. Tony Evans, has authored Your Time Is Now. God uses all of your life not just the part that you like, um, that he uses the pit, he uses the struggles, he uses the pain. And so you can't think that you're waiting for your time when you're living in it. And so we've got to have confidence that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it from the beginning to the end. Jonathan Evans writes in Your Time Is Now that Christians should stop waiting for the right moment. They should get up and go. God is going to use your life for his plan. I think it's important to understand and not lose heart where you currently are. That's why Paul said in Philippians, he said, I will rejoice even though he was in jail. It wasn't that his circumstances made him happy. It's just that he knew that God would deliver him. And what he knew had more control over him than where he was. And so we have to have faith in what God says and not just allow our feelings to control our movement, but allow our faith to control our movement. Evans uses the Old Testament leader Joshua as a model for stepping up to God's calling. When you turn the page from Deuteronomy 34 to Joshua chapter 1, the first word is now. And now, it means imminent. It means right now. It means not later. Now means, Joshua, it's time for you to get up and go. I know that you're struggling over the loss of Moses in Deuteronomy 34. I know that your your knees are weak and your palms are sweaty because you got to lead millions of people and you have to do it suddenly. But in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the morning, in the middle of not having the best circumstances is when you're going to experience your calling. Readers of Your Time Is Now will be called upon to trust God. We have to remember that even when you're feeling a certain way or going through something, that God is going to use that as a catalyst for where he's taking you. Evans, who serves on the pastoral staff at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas with his father, Dr. Tony Evans, knew he had to rely on the Lord when his mother, Lois, passed away from gallbladder cancer. It was a tough thing for our family to go through. And then my mom said, everybody, I want you to sit down and listen to me. I want you to know that even in this moment that you're called, that even in this moment of sadness, we're not going to tuck tail and run as a family. And if you're called to preach, that's exactly what you're going to do. If you're called to sing, that's exactly what you're going to do. If you're called to disciple, that's exactly what you're going to do. And I remember saying, how can you talk about ministry at a time like this? And she said, even though you're going through a hard time, you can't forget the reason why you exist. You exist for the purposes of God. Evans admits he was angry at God when his mom passed away. Absolutely. I mean, I was very actually angry um, because we prayed hard. I mean, we we asked people to join us in prayer. And I, I quoted the scriptures and said, this is what it says about prayer and that you're that if we pray according to your will, you hear us. If we abide in you, um, then you will answer the prayers of our de- the, the desires of our heart. You know, uh, if you pray, if we pray, believing you, we will receive. I mean, I did all of that. And. So I was in pain when it didn't happen, and I was angry at God when it didn't happen. Evans realized after her death, his prayer was answered. That's when God spoke to me, and he said, you don't realize that I did answer your prayer, and it did happen at a higher level than you even prayed it. And I think sometimes we don't realize how God is answering our prayer as a father is much greater than what we're asking as a child. Not only did she go home, she went home. Not only was she healed, she was healed forever. Not only was she with family, she was with family forever. Not only is she going to be well taken care of, but now she's well taken care of forever. Evans has a prayer that your time is now will bring a unique experience to readers. 
every three chapters, there's a QR code, and the movie starts after chapter three. Um, it continues after chapter six, and it concludes at chapter nine. And so you're able to watch this movie while you read this book and um, and just be encouraged and, and have an experience. I wanted my book's, book to be an experience um, that goes beyond reading, and that's what we were able to accomplish. Here's how to get in touch with Jonathan Evans about his latest book, Your Time Is Now. The book is sold anywhere you can find books. I mean, uh, all the dot-coms, and you can follow me at Jonathan Blake Evans. Um, And so that's just my full name, and that's my handle for all my social medias. And remember that this book has a movie in it as well. So this book is an experience beyond reading. You'll actually watch a movie as you read the book, and it has a soundtrack when you finish the book, so you can keep listening to those messages. This is John Clemens reporting. What an awesome message. Keeping the faith this morning, no time like the present to live out God's purpose in our lives. Your time is now. We have it linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net to learn more. Joining us this morning with an update on uh, all of the activities, the Hancock County OSU Extension 4-H program, Jamie Rickle, Tori Kirian. Uh, Tori, you are new to uh, the uh, the area, new to the uh, Extension office. Uh, welcome. Introduce yourself. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Tori Kirian, and I started last Monday as the 4-H educator <laughs> so here in Hancock brand County. brand new. Yes. Brand spanking new. Yes, jumping right in. And so are you from uh, this area originally, or where do you hail from? So I was a 4-H member in Crawford County, but currently okay. live in Northern Wyandotte County. Okay. Um, I went to the University of Finley and graduated with an animal science degree. Um, I've been working in extension for the last two, two and a half years um, as a program assistant. So very excited to get this new role. Yeah, so uh, not entirely unfamiliar with uh, this area, having uh, been an oiler. So uh, good to uh, have you back in the community uh, in this role. And this is a great 4-H program to sort of uh, take the reins uh, of. We've talked about it before. Uh, great um, core of volunteers, a lot of uh, a lot of kids involved. It's a great program to step into. Yes, and I've met a lot of people. I was able to attend the benefit auction last Sunday mm-hmm. and meet a lot of the volunteers and families. We had Clover Bud Day last week um, and camp counselor meeting. So we're jumping in with getting involved <laughs> and meeting lots of new people, jumping and it's been in, great. Jumping in with both feet. Uh, Jamie, you mentioned the. Uh, uh, the dinner uh, and uh, and auction. How did that go? Give us uh, kind of a, a recap of that for those uh, who may be wondering on that. Yeah, so we have um, a silent auction where you can make bids on different um, things. Everything is donated from either clubs or local businesses. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a live auction at the end for some of the bigger, more desired I- items. Uh-huh. And then um, we have a lot of great youth volunteers from Junior Fair Board and camp counselors and things like that who help with the meal. So we had a chicken barbecue yeah. um, dinner and they helped serve all of that. And so. everything uh, went uh, went real well. This is at the uh, the new uh, building at the fairgrounds, right? Yes, the new, new, new building. The so brand new building. the youth building. Uh-huh. So we've really been blessed to get, you know, three new buildings in a row over at the fairgrounds. But this one is for us. Right. And it was nice. That's that the we, most exciting part. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And it was nice that we even have our um, fair booths, our mock-up that all of the families were able to see 
you know, that this is what they're going to be setting up when they come to the fair. So a lot of excitement about that, I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. With that coming up, with the fair being back and, uh, you know, things starting to get back to normal. As we mentioned, uh, 4-H camps uh, are also back this year. And I know that is really kind of your focus right now, right, Tori? <laughs> yes, for sure. We move in next week, so next weekend. So lots of planning has been going into that, and the counselors, the staff, everyone's so excited to be able to get back to Camp Ohio this year. How many uh, how many students have you got, uh, how many kids have you got going to camp this year? Do you know? I don't mean to put you on the no, spot you're with fine. an exact number. but With staff, counselors, and campers, we're sitting around about 165-ish, wow. 170. So, so less numbers because of regulations, but overall we're basically full with the lesson numbers so that's awesome yeah that is uh, that is terrific again because everything was canceled last year everything had to be the things that did happen were largely in the virtual space and and all of that so again with the easing of restrictions getting back into the swing of things it's got to be uh, just a, a huge um relief it's got to be a lot easier to do what you do although obviously over the course of the past year things have continued but to get back to normal is a is a big deal for sure. Absolutely. And with a new staff, it's not bad that we're easing into it with smaller numbers. That is a uh, that is a good point. But and it is also with a new staff, it's it should be pointed out that this is the last year would not have been the time that you wanted to do something, you know, all of these changes and with with new staff. So again, the timing here is uh, is really good. What are you looking forward to next then? I mean, you get through a camp, and then what happens next? I would I would imagine it's you know, uh, all hands on deck for the fair. Yeah, we start uh, project judging on July 8th. So we get back from camp and turn around and switch gears and go full force with judging. So we're getting ready for fair then. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific stuff. Um, it, anything else, again, highlighting 4-H uh, here right now, what about uh, other uh, programming and such uh, at uh, the uh, Extension office? Right now? Um, the we will status? be, once we get judging taken care of, we will be sitting down and evaluating our school program. So each educator in Extension has a different um, specialty area. So Tori has said that hers is more livestock-based. Mm -hmm. um, mine is like health and wellness field okay. um, so we'll be putting our talents together and deciding what we can be best utilized for in the school system so then we'll be contacting teachers letting them know what we have available and what we can offer them so a lot of things to happen over the course of the summer uh, not just the stuff that people see that is going on whether it's 4-h camp whether it's you know the the fair and all, all of the things go along with that but behind the scenes as well it's going to be definitely a busy summer it sounds like oh absolutely and and with the the fact that again it's new staff members um that also i i would imagine uh gives the opportunity to take a fresh look at those programs do things in a different way uh which is always a good uh, good thing Absolutely. There are definitely some programs that the schools look forward to that we're not trying to get rid of. Mm -hmm. um, we still want to offer them the things that they're used to, but it's it's going to be fun and interesting to be able to offer them things that they haven't been offered before. So stay tuned. I'm sure we'll uh, talk more about that again when we get a little bit closer. But uh, for now, 4-H camp right around the corner. And when do you leave for that? So move-in is on June 26th, okay, and then um, it will end for campers on the 28th. Okay, So it's a bit shorter, but 
still packed with lots of action to get you that camp experience that you know and love. Uh, so uh, just uh, compressed into uh, some very busy, uh, a handful of very busy days, and then we're off and running to the fair. So we look forward to uh, talking about that next time uh, out. Again, uh, Jamie Rickle, Tori Kirian uh, with us, the Hancock County OSU Extension 4-H program. Ladies, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having, having us. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Uh, apparently, th- th- some people have not, still not learned that we live in a world where cameras are everywhere. And let this be a reminder uh, to you. Uh, in Tyler, Texas, police say a man recently dropped through the ceiling above the Dippin' Knots ice cream inside the Broadway Square Mall, um, grabbed a bag of Dippin' Knots, and then exited the same way he had entered. It was, <laughs> it was kind of a uh, James Bond-type uh, heist. Uh, or well, it, it, it seemed as elaborate as like the Ocean's Eleven uh, heist. <laughs> dropped through the ceiling above just to steal some dipping dots. The whole incident caught on security cameras, and now they have a pretty good uh, image of the suspect. They just need someone to identify the man. <laughs> Anyone with information now being asked to contact police there in Tyler, Texas. It just seems like a very elaborate scheme to steal some dipping dots. Kind of makes you wonder if the guy wanted to get caught. You know what I mean? And to go through all of that just to get some dipping Dots. When there are cameras everywhere, you know there's got to be security footage of this. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be. <clears throat> anyway, the great dipping Dots caper of Tyler, Texas. We'll follow up. Woman in Largo, Florida facing a felony charge after a 10-year-old great-grandson crashed her Ford Escape into another SUV, uh, causing it to hit a third vehicle, uh, all of which had kids on board. Lauren Birch Burke, age 75, had allegedly been drinking at her condominium while babysitting her three great-grandchildren. The children uh, reportedly wanted to go see um, a local uh, light display uh, located about a mile and a half away from her home. So uh, police uh, said that uh, Ms. Burke backed the vehicle out of the parking space at her complex and then told her grandson to drive. Age 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ms. Burke, who has a previous DUI on her rap sheet, was charged with a felony count of child neglect and allowing an unlicensed minor to drive. But two of the the, uh, victim's families are, uh, you know, kids in the other cars that were struck are pushing for a stiffer penalty like DUI, for example, with jail time being that she is a repeat offender. Well, what are you going to do? You know, your kids want to go out for some fun and, you know, you've been drinking while you're babysitting. What else are you going to do? That that does present a bit of a predicament. (laughs) A bit of a quandary. Well, fine, you just drive. Not the solution. Not the proper solution. But then again, it is Florida. Um, Police in Baltimore say a 38-year-old man 
having a medical crisis, allegedly stole an ambulance early Monday morning. Police say the man jumped into the running ambulance as the Baltimore City Fire Department medical unit workers were responding to another call. Police were able to stop the vehicle a short time later and determined that the man driving it was going through some sort of medical crisis. No damage to the ambulance when it was recovered by officers, and presumably they took him to the hospital. But it's still not the best idea. I mean, I understand the guy's argument. I mean, he did have an excuse. He was having a medical issue. But still, stealing an ambulance is probably not the best solution as opposed to just calling 911 and having an ambulance get there legitimately. What are you going to do? A couple of other items in the broken news. Um, Speaking of Florida, uh, the Sunshine State isn't always sunshine. They get some pretty strong storms from time to time. And uh, the Florida Highway Patrol said a lightning strike on a car traversing Interstate 75 in Broward County caused damage to the vehicle and the road, but not the driver. Um, Driver's name is not given, uh, but the vehicle was a Nissan Rogue traveling. uh, It says westbound on Interstate 75, but (coughs) excuse me. I-75 is north-south, so I don't know what that would be. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me. The Again, I'm having trouble this morning because I've been off for a couple of days. Been off the air for a couple of days. I'm not used to talking this much. <coughs> and so <laughs> I've got this frog in my throat <coughs> because I'm just not used to talking, I guess. Anyway... The lightning strike at about 11.20 a.m. caused damage to the vehicle's antenna, uh, radio antenna, and electrical system. Also left a 7-foot-long, 4-inch-wide gouge in the road, but the driver of the car, who was identified only as a 48-year-old from Naples, was not injured. Not injured. Left a 7-foot-long, 4-inch-wide gouge in the road... And the driver was not injured. The car had to be towed from the scene, and highway crews were alerted to the damage to the pavement. Wow. That that driver's got a story to tell. Man. And finally, in the broken news this morning. This seems like a very big mistake. And once again, from Florida. Florida. The small town of Brooksville had a big issue back in April. A businessman purchased a building owned by the city that happened to be located underneath the town's water tower. Uh, He planned to convert it into a business, paid $55,000 for the building. But when he went to the county to get an address for his new business location, he was told the parcel he bought also included the entire water tower site. (laughs) So, without realizing it, he had purchased the town's water tower for (laughs) $55,000. Luckily for the town of Brooksville, uh, the man was willing to give it back, probably because he didn't want to pay the taxes on the water tower. County records indicate that he transferred the tower back to Brooksville last month. City manager Mark Cutney blames the use of a bad legal description 
in the sales contract for the blunder, the city's redevelopment agency director has resigned. <laughs> As a result. Hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. You buy the water tower, you could uh, get out of... You'd never have to pay your water bill again because, you know, you own the water tower. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. <laughs> today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. And we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. According to a new poll, Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service. Uh, This is a poll out yesterday, finds that voters view political division as the top issue facing the U.S. Americans more concerned about the political divides in the country over any specific political issue. Kind of interesting. About 32%, so one out of three, see the nation's divide as one of their top two issues. Ahead of those who said the same about the pandemic, healthcare. And any economic issues like jobs, taxes, and so on. So the uh, political division trumps everything else, even above any individual issue, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, The poll further found that more than two-thirds of voters, 69%, would prefer politicians who are willing to compromise to get things done. Uh, 27% said they prefer politicians who stick by their guns, stand by their political positions on issues, regardless of whether that means gridlock. But the vast majority want to see uh, things done, you know, moving forward uh, in the country. Voters believe, and this was, uh, I find this kind of interesting, voters believe that President Biden is trying to end such divisions, even if they don't necessarily approve of his job performance overall. Just thought was kind of interesting. The poll found that 52% approve of the president's job performance thus far, but an even higher number, 60%, believe that he is working at least somewhat hard to heal the nation's political divisions. So make of that what you will, agree or disagree, but uh, I I did think that it was uh, interesting, although not necessarily surprising that people view political division as the top issue over any specific political ideology or uh, any specific issues. Sweeping up, hands away. On my way to where the air is seen. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame? 
Well, as you are probably already aware, Sesame Street has been entertaining and educating children for more than a half century now. And in honor of the recent 50th anniversary of the children's program, uh, Dr. Lucille Burbank is out with the third edition of her acclaimed book, The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street. And Dr. Burbank, Sesame Street over the years has come to be considered kind of the gold standard for children's edutainment. You are a children's media educational consultant. Would you agree? Is it the yardstick by which all others should be measured? Well, my gosh, you know, it tries its best and it does succeed because it really has the child in mind and giving the child the best programming possible when it started in 1969 children's television was not very good at that time Mm -hmm. there was action for children's television developed by peggy sharon and to get children's programming up to snuff and so the workshop the sesame workshop creators of sesame street said hey we can do something here and let's give it a try. There was a great can do in the air and they did succeed because they had the best intentions in mind for children. So more hits than misses, but you know, it wasn't always the case where it was considered uh, that gold standard in the early days. There were a number of challenges that had to be overcome. There certainly were. First of all, if, it was perceived as having very too much of a fast pace. And that was because of these, um, they had uh, Grace Slick of um, something airplane. Yep. She, they were doing the numbers and that gave the show a whole kind of feeling of, wow, you know, it's way too fast paced and we're going to create hyperactivity and we Hmm. want the child to relax as as they're learning and have fun. But that was rectified. Then there was also the problem of really uh, being able to teach in an entertaining way letters and numbers. Uh, The the, uh, head of the Sesame Street Research He had commissioned some segments to be done on the letter J, and the producers did so, and uh, they didn't work. And he went back to the producers, and this was about a year before the show went on the air, and thank goodness they did plan and do these pilot Mm -hmm. segments. And he said, hey, you've got to get the letter into the action. What was happening in in the first segments The producers had a jingle and animation, and it was about a June bug, and it was on the lower right-hand corner, and then up in the upper left-hand corner, separated away from the action, was the letter J. And Dr. Palmer, who was the co-creator of Sesame Street Research, said, no, get the letter into the action. Hmm. So then the producers did... Kermit the Frog wrestling with the letter W and talking about <laughs> I, woe is me. I, I remember that segment. I actually remember that segment from my childhood. So it's interesting that at many of the uh, hurdles that had to be overcome over time uh, actually became the show's strength. It's, it's pace uh, actually turned out to be a benefit rather than a hindrance and, and so on. 
You talk about the importance of all of the research that was done even before the program launched. Was that what made Sesame Street not only so successful, but also contributed to the kind of longevity that we've seen? Yes, it is the most researched show in the history of television, uh, children's or adults. Otherwise, you know, um, the research, because what they did in the very beginning is they had the producers and the researchers working together. And so, yes, the producers are intuitively know what works and so forth, but they started realizing that, hey, they didn't know everything. And what they did know was confirmed by the research Mm -hmm. and the researchers would go in and I was one of them and say, look, you've got to change this and this, and they look at it, and they agree with it. So everybody, it was a win-win. Everybody was really learning some new stuff, and that was yeah, great. Yeah, obviously Sesame Street debuted at a time when uh, entertainment options in general were very limited. You had the big three networks and PBS, and that was... Uh, Pretty much it. Now we have so many other options, streaming and on-demand content and so on. Why the need for shows like Sesame Street today? Well, first of all, it it has such respect for the for the child's mind. And not all shows do have that respect. Um, And so certainly we want to continue to maintain Sesame Street that is over 50 years old, but we also want to develop shows for older children too, because they're dealing with some very big issues. They're Mm. dealing with too much screen time, things that are unreal. They're dealing with bullying. They're dealing with not enough social contact um, with others, they're they're dealing with being too much alone, uh, too much virtual stuff. Yeah, and so we can take that television model that we developed for preschoolers, and why not use it to help seven to mm. twelve years old deal and grow up in a healthy way? You you talk about the issues that kids today are facing, and some, in fact, have criticized Sesame Street over the years for the ways in which it confronts some of those hot-button issues like race and gender identity and so on. No matter how you approach those issues, it is tough because they are issues that even adults don't fully understand or like to confront. So there's a risk anytime you go there. There is, but what's so great about talking to children is that they are so open to new ideas and new thinking. And if you present it in such a way that they understand, for instance, Sesame Street is launching its initiative on the ABCs of racial literacy. And if you start that dialogue on racism early, then it, it, kind of goes into their morals and their thinking. And, you know, once you program in these wonderful, beautiful things when you're little, you never forget them. I mean, we all remember the things that were so positive in our lives. And Sesame Street, that children's program, is such a good example. 
the impact it's had on all generations growing up. So it's the same thing. So if you incorporate that, um, those good thinking, those new ideas, Mm -hmm. the tolerance that Sesame Street showed on its street always stayed with individuals as they grew older, knowing that all kinds of people could get along well together. Sure. There is a fine line, though, between uh, educating and enlightening and indoctrinating in the minds of many. So uh, what is the role of parents uh, in taking this material and then uh, shaping uh, their, their children's values using all of this information presented on a show like Sesame Street? Sure. Indoctrination really means there's no thinking on the part of the child. Right. When you have a dialogue with a child, you create understanding and you go back and forth. You understand the child's point of view. The child will express his or her point of view and you'll uh, respond. And so it's a very nice dialogue. And we have dialogues all the time. And so and I really recommend. I'm a very strict advocate of having dinner time, um, the whole family getting together, talking about what they're doing on social media, the problems they're dealing with today, what they did. All this sharing is not indoctrination. It's much of it's sharing. And there's such joy and and there's such a great opportunity to create um, you know, an understanding and guiding the child in a, a very lovely way. We do it all the time. Most parents do not indoctrinate, and those that do, you know, it never works. Yeah. But um, really, I want to give a shout out to the parents. If you just talk to your children and listen to their point of view, you'll be fine. Yeah, Uh, it it is interesting that uh, what we have learned over the course of the past half century plus is that uh, as valuable a resource as Sesame Street is, still can't do it alone. It's not a replacement for uh, those dialogues and that parental uh, input and, and so on. Again, Dr. Lucille Burbank is out with the third edition of her acclaimed book, The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street. Dr. Burbank, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. Have a good day. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for being with us on the program. Remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24 7 on the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow on the program, they get an update on planning progress for the 2021 Hancock County Fair. And have you heard the Independence Day fireworks are back at the fairgrounds? So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.